Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. I am your host, Wendy Nystrom, with my co-host, Joel Vendette. And today we welcome back both Kim and Betsy from Other Lives Studio. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for having us. Of course. So today's topic is actually a very important one. Most people don't realize that in the world of fast fashion, there's a lot of waste generated, there's a lot of pollution generated, and there's a lot of social injustice that happens. So you guys are going to talk about what the Fashion Act is and why that is important. So could you initially explain what the Act actually does? Mm -hmm. Betsy, do you mind if I yeah, jump go in? Yeah, Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, I just want to have a disclosure. We support the Fashion Act. We're not um, affiliated with it, though, but totally believe that it needs to be passed. It's currently in assembly in New York State. So it was introduced last year by... Um, Senator Anna Bia or Alexander Biaggi and Assemblywoman Anna Kelly's, and it aims to um, regulate the global fashion industry by targeting companies that uh, have revenue over $100 million that operate in New York. But okay. by nature, those companies are global. So yeah. they're looking at all of the different ways that they're impacting the environment from their um, from their carbon emissions to their uh, social compliance mechanisms, all these kinds of things. And it has um, sort of three main components, which is disclosure, um, verification, and then enforcement. And it's enforced by the, or it will be enforced, hopefully, by the Attorney General's office in New York. So it's, it's very, very ambitious. And um, it's actually, I think, I mean, there's there's a similar bill um, being proposed in Europe right now, but for the U.S., it's certainly the only um, bill that's looking at uh, regulating the fashion industry. So it could be it could be really really impactful if it's passed. Just really exciting. Absolutely, Betsy. Did you want to add anything to that? Because I have a couple commentaries. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear your comments and then we could just bounce. <laughs> yeah, um, so most people, when they think of fashion, they just go to the store, they buy something, they wear it, they throw it away. Yeah. And the thing is, this is a $2.5 trillion industry. Mm -hmm. We have, when people think about fashion, it just magically arrives in the store, you buy it, you walk home. Mm -hmm. This is actually their supply chains, their materials, there are things either chemically generated or harvested from the land, whether it's cotton, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then it's manufactured. And then there are people manufacturing it, harvesting it, then it's transported. These mm -hmm. are all emissions, these are all CO2 gases. Mm -hmm. Then when that processing happens, when the garments bleached or dyed or manufactured, put together, there's mm -hmm. chemical waste constantly mm -hmm. dumped into our waterways, dumped into our soils. Mm -hmm. And people in labor, we think, oh yeah, you get paid by the hour. Well, some people pay their people by the garment made. So mm -hmm. if you're slow, you're paid less. If you're fast, mm -hmm. you're paid more. That is undue stress, that is undue well-being, or lack of well-being. And it becomes a psychological issue to most people to work faster, 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 and then you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is vastly important, not only just for the environment, for the people involved in fashion. And there are several very large corporations behind it. I'm blanking mm -hmm. on all of their names right now. I think Eileen Fisher was one of them. Yep. But um, huge companies are backing this because they, and Joel's laughing at me because that's what he does. But <laughs> this is very important. And Kim and Betsy brought this to my attention. I didn't even know there was a fashion act being proposed in New York. I was completely unaware. So the fact that these two young ladies are involved in this and pushing this forward is vastly important. I, I think 
I, I want to just like touch on something that you said, the, the, um, the economic impact of the fashion industry is massive. And the mm -hmm. whole the reason that I really like kind of did a deep, deep dive on this is I, I wrote a paper for the Fashion Act for um, a class I was taking on policy at USC. And I um, looked at it in comparison to the California fuel efficiency legislation. And even just comparing the fashion industry to the auto industry, in 2021, the fashion industry was three times larger by revenue than the auto industry. And when we think about all of the regulation that the auto industry has to keep us safe, to like uh, audit manufacturing, to the unions that protect the workers. And fashion has none of that, none of it. It's mind boggling. And I think that was like the statistic that's really stuck with me because fashion just really gets away with murder, literally. <laughs> I was just say literally. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just hard it is. And, yes. mm -hmm. and it well, like, Go ahead, Betsy. I'm sorry. No, and I was just going to add to that. Like, you don't, you know, what you're saying about how magic just, or fashion just magically appears to people when they order it um, online or shop or whatever way they decide to acquire it. Like, so much pollution goes into the development of it. And it's not just what happens within a factory or a dye house, like, it affects the land around it and the communities around it as well that pollution affects everyone you know including yourself like if the dyes are chemical yeah. in the long run after you buy it it affects you as a wear as well it affects like the water when you wash it. It, it it so this is just kind of like a small blip in a positive direction you know there's so much more work that needs to be done and so much that needs to be amended and just improved with like fashion manufacturing in general. And hopefully this actually gets passed and, you know, we could have a more positive future for this. You know, it's mm -hmm. funny. Um, I'm so glad you guys brought up that the fashion industry has not really been regulated. Now there are two major cases going back to the one was um, early 1900s. One, the other one was like early 1940s. The 1901 was seamstresses were often locked in their warehouses while they sewed. You can't leave. You have to keep sewing, sewing, sewing. And at the day, at the end of the day, at like what, eight, nine o'clock at night, they unlock the door and then you can leave. Well, in New York, a fire broke out and women were jumping out the window trying to get out and they died. So a law was passed. Hey, you can't lock your doors. That was the law. Can't lock your doors. Maybe put in some sprinkler systems. That would be great. And then in the 40s, um, watches are considered a fashionable thing. And there were the radium girls. And that was when radium was discovered. It was glow in the dark. And they would put on the watch dial radium so it could glow. Mm -hmm. And these women were told, lick your brush when you put on the radium so you can do a finer point in more detail. So they were licking radium. To, they all died. They all died a horrible, tragic, painful death. And to this day, um, where they're buried is irradiated. The Geiger oh, counter was lost. There's a I'm good sorry? book about them. There's a good book about the Iradium Girls. I can't remember what it was. Or what, I, I know women, but I think it was called Radium Girls or something like that. Really interesting book about yeah. that whole industry. And But just think about the dire consequences just to pass those two things. Yeah. And yeah. now we're thinking about, you know, just equity and equality and a fair wage. And these yeah. are all manufactured in other countries where they don't have these laws. Yeah. And we need the people here to demand it from their supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, happen. that's why this act is does have the potential to be really powerful because it requires the companies that are eligible, so those that make 
more than $100 million a year in revenue to map 50% of their supply chain. That's not yep. perfect, but they have to look at the parts of their supply chain that have the greatest environmental impact potentially. And most likely that will be the parts of their supply chain that are in places like Southeast Asia or Africa or South America, where, yeah, they don't necessarily have the um, social compliance mechanisms within their government to protect workers. So hopefully this does have a global reach. That's that's the goal. That's cool, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, one of the things you said about questions. I was just gonna say with the supply chain, that's meaning where you bought it, where they bought it, where they bought it, you know, goes down line to beginning yeah. of time. Yeah. Most people, most corporations will not know past two. Well, I buy my materials from that guy, this guy buys it from this guy. That's where they end. We're good. Mm -hmm. They're not going to the full line. So even think of a pair of sneakers, where the laces come from, where the toggles come from, where the metal that you thread it through come from, where's the rubber coming from, where's the canvas coming from, where the dye come from. Mm -hmm. That's how people need to start thinking. That's all circular economy. Yeah. And um, laws like this, because you guys actually sent me this information I read on it. We cannot expect people to regulate themselves because they're not going to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> that's the reality of it. And yeah. um, this will mandate it in um, enforcing it. But with respect to the fashion, because you guys have shared a ton of information, guys, I highly recommend Googling this. When can we expect things to actually happen? Let's say it does get passed. It becomes an act. It becomes a law in New York. How will that affect places like Los Angeles, like London, Paris? Well, you said Europe already has similar laws in place. But when can we start seeing maybe that affecting change? Hmm. That's a good question. That is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wide open one, I know. But yeah, I think, I don't know. That's Yeah, it's a very good question. I think as soon as it's passed, you will see the effect there will be, I feel like, kind of a chilling effect on especially the fast fashion brands, because ideally what this will do is level the playing field, because there's companies that are already doing this, right? There's already companies like Adam Fisher and Patagonia, Stella McCartney, the people who are supporting this bill, mm -hmm. who look at their supply chain, are very responsible and try and do the right thing most of the time. But that means that their product is a lot more expensive. So ideally, by mandating a all these large companies, which includes fast fashion, fast fashion companies, it will kind of level the playing field in terms of the cost for consumers. Meaning, things will become more expensive because you know that the company's not going to pass. They're not going to cover the cost of compliance, right? They're going <laughs> to build that into the cost of their goods. Yeah, yeah. They want to maintain their margins, and I think so. Consumers will see it, and I think it will have an effect on how much people buy. Um, because they won't be able to afford like $25 t-shirts anymore. Because they won't be $5 anymore, hopefully. But you don't need that. We yeah. Don't, we don't yeah, need that. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. And um, yeah. you don't need $25 t-shirts. You need one really good one. Maybe two. No, but, you also, but you do have to think about the families that are trying to just put food on the table, pay for their rent. How are they going to go from buying and they've got kids to feed and school and all this kind of, and these expenses, how, yeah. and it's like, so don't get me wrong. I think it's great to put the, the right, the rules and regulations in effect. I worry about the people right now that can't get by and yeah. they have to buy a t-shirt for their kids and yeah. they have to two or $3 to do it. Well, this could also actually help them as well, because when it comes to manufacturing, um, you know, everybody knows the higher the volume of the materials, like the lower the price, but the issue with, 
manufacturing in a more sustainable way is that those materials have really, really high MOQs, like minimum quantities. Um, and a lot of brands can't really afford to use them because they would have just so much in inventory, you know? Okay. So this would kind of enable more people to have access to, more brands to have access to those fabrics. And the higher the demand for it, the lower the cost can be because it'll be demanded across different brands. Um, so essentially, hopefully it could have an effect, um, a ripple effect on more than just big brands that are making these high revenues, you know? I think so. I think I'm hoping that the behavior that it changes is not just the people who need very low cost clothing, because I think, you know, there's still going to be like the Walmarts of the world. Like, like they, they will still be producing goods that will be affordable to the majority of the population. Um, but I'm hoping that it eventually changes the consumer behavior of um, low clothing utilization, which is a huge problem where buying like three times more and wearing it three times less. And I don't, I, that's actually not like an accurate statistic. I just said those numbers, but it's, <laughs> but it makes sense. There is, there are like lots of studies about clothing utilization that like, for example, Eileen Fisher and, um, uh, has done. And we are, we've totally diverged our um, consumption from utilization. So it's, it's totally out of whack and we need to get back to a point where we're actually wearing the things we have in our closet because I think that all of us are guilty of that no matter how conscious we are. Exactly, exactly. I have three closets, it's pathetic. We all need to like wear more of what we have and like I'm really hoping that that just becomes standard consumer practice moving yeah. forward. Yeah. And we are, we definitely overbuy and we talk about overconsumption quite a bit, especially with clothing. Um, we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we do not like. Um, but to add on to Joel's comment of, you know, what about the family that can't afford it and, the, and the, they need the cheaper clothing? Mm -hmm. That's a catch-22 because then what about the people in other countries that are poisoning their own drinking water supply so they can manufacture those clothing, you know, poisoning their soils that they grow food out of, contaminating their air? Which yeah. there is no perfect answer, but maybe if we mm -hmm. found that happy medium mm -hmm. and found that middle, because we're a world of extremists lately and we just need to start finding that neutral territory. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's like Kim said, it's like, you know, I think everything will be it, hopefully in an ideal utopian world, which I personally don't think exists, but people will reevaluate their spending and their behaviors. But I will say when there's a commercial on right now where they're talking about a certain company that does internet speeds. And and I thought about you guys the first time I saw it because I'm like, what the damn hell? Because they're talking about how, oh, for the fashion designer, you can do new trends all the faster mm -hmm. and get them in public faster. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, here we go. Totally. <laughs> You know, but the thing is, it's interesting because like we have become, we're used to, I, if I don't get my delivery in 24 hours, I'm annoyed, you know, mm -hmm. for, for buying things online. We're so used to this now, 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 now world that if yeah. we take it, takes four days to get to us, we're like, going, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else and it'll be faster. Yeah. yeah. That's mm -hmm. going to be the key, which is going to be really hard for people to understand is like, how do I get over this immediate gratification? Yeah. Yes. Well, stuff mm -hmm. won't make you happy. Let's just put that out there. Buying more crap. I've done it, folks. It didn't make me happy. I've bought plenty of stuff. Hey, I'm going to freely admit that sometimes a little retail therapy is a good thing. 
And yeah. I, <laughs> I, I would go overboard. And I've talked to plenty of women that were, you know, high up in the corporate world. And one woman said to me, she's like, there were only so many Monolo blankets, Monolo blankets I could buy before mm -hmm. I realized that wasn't the answer. Maybe that'll be her. She actually started a farm in Africa. Thank you very much. And she's blissfully happy. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's a wonderful human being. Um, talking, I interviewed her in the past. And, um, but now I want to, since we've gone through the doom and the gloom and the awful, we're going to talk about what Kim and Betsy are working on and what mm -hmm. they do to specifically address this overconsumption that we have. So whoever wants to start talking about what Other Live Studio does, please take it away. Yeah, so what we do is a few different things, but mainly we provide solutions for, you know, overworn clothing or things that are in need of mending or that are just kind of boring. So we kind of teach people how to update their wardrobe, whether it's through mending, through upcycling, through like new perspectives on how to wear it, through um, different aspects of redesign. Um, and we also host clothing swaps, which is another more sustainable alternative to get something new to you, at least. Um, yeah, we just did our first clothing swap recently. Um, and we are doing workshops both in person in LA and in Canada as well. Um, and online, we have like a YouTube channel that hosts virtual tutorials for the DIYer at home that maybe doesn't live in the cities that we host the workshops in, or that just isn't comfortable, you know, participating in person. We have something for everyone, hopefully. <laughs> and, and you do, because um, I went to one of your jewelry workshops and yes, I've never done anything like this before in my life. I walked in like, I, I don't know how to make jewelry. And you guys had stuff donated. You had a ton of stuff donated that people just had scrap jewelry, excess jewelry, stuff they didn't wear. This stuff was actually kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. A lot of natural <laughs> stones, a lot of minerals. Mm -hmm. And I made a brooch and two necklaces that were actually really cool. And I was afraid to touch. Like you guys said, rip it apart. Take this necklace, rip it apart. <laughs> and I sat, folks, I sat there for 20 minutes staring at that thing. I, I can't, this is someone else's work. I can't destroy someone else's work. And Kim, you said, that's the fun of it. Rip it apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was fun. So, I mean, when you guys do a clothing one, I'm going to look forward to mm -hmm. taking stuff I don't have, spending 20 minutes staring at it, saying I can't, and then shredding that thing. <laughs> yes. Great way to work out aggression. Absolutely. It's art therapy. And it's your anger at the fashion industry on us. <laughs> Take it all out. It's um, really fun because yeah. it's such a like community space, you know, yeah. and everyone gets to collaborate and kind of like create freely. It almost feels like we all kind of like go back to like our childlike experience mm -hmm. of creating, you know, without any boundaries really. Um, so we try to kind of create that space and provide inspiration and any insight, you know, but overall mm -hmm. everyone does so great with just being given the materials and kind of yeah. a brief and just exploring their own ideas. And it's really fun to see what everyone creates. And I thought this one guy put jewelry on his sneakers and I, yeah. just, I would have never thought of that. I mean, yeah. what doing that and he put a chain and it actually looked really good. I mean, yeah. Yeah. when he walked out, I thought, damn, he's got talent. Yeah. <laughs> we want to empower people. Like I think a, a big piece of, you know, the fashion act and changing our consumption patterns coming comes from feeling empowered, feeling like you can make a difference and actually 
have a closer relationship to your clothing, yeah. like in a way. And I think if you understand how it's made and you, you feel like you had a hand in what you're wearing, you, you will have empathy also for the person who made it initially. And it just yeah. connects you to that whole process in a very visceral way. And I, I think that's what we need. We need in every capacity in our world right now, it's so globalized, but we all need empathy for the maker. You know, I think we would be in a better place if we really put ourselves in the shoes of the person who gives us and makes us these products that we use every day. Um, and hopefully our workshops are just a tiny part of kind of changing that in people's minds, like giving them that little piece of empowerment and excitement about something that they made with their own hands. Yeah. And connection to what you have, right? You know, mm -hmm. like it's, you're going to feel so much more connected to something you made and you're probably going to keep it longer and take better care of it. And mm -hmm. like Kim said, you're going to have empathy for things you didn't make, you know, and, and, kind of like appreciate them more. And a lot of people in fashion either do or don't, but particularly Kim and I, like we're very careful about what we purchase. And um, we really try to think of the life cycle of it within our closet, you know? And, and that's kind of where other lives came from. It's like, how can we extend the life of what we already have? So it doesn't end up, you know, in a landfill because sometimes things that are donated to Goodwill don't always end up and I think it's like 80 for 80 percent goes to landfill actually that's mm -hmm. yeah, a lot it's yeah. a lot so you know what, what can we do to extend the life of what we have um I mean you know I think I remember there's one episode we had spoken about this before and it was you know we talked about fast fashion and you know my thought was I buy cheap stuff I freely admit it not everything is going to be the highest quality in the world because I have a budget I'm a human mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but it's also about how do you take care of it once you have it because just because mm -hmm. it's, it was a fast fashion or a cheap item doesn't mean that you can't prolong it just by taking care of it exactly you know? so yeah. i think that's another avenue that people need to think about as well exactly it, yeah so i mean yeah i think that to me is also an issue that really has to be discussed yeah I, really I thinking thinking about how you purchase and why you purchase like yeah. trying to stay away from trends trying to like purchase things that are either more practical or that's a refunction or that you feel deeply connected to, um, you know, because otherwise it's just superfluous and you're going to end up getting rid of it anyway at some point, you know? So it's just really kind of being more mindful of why you purchase things and what in your wardrobe means the most to you and what you've kept for the longest and why, and kind of like, you mm -hmm. know, being more introspective about it and mm -hmm. conscious. Most, <laughs> most importantly with what you guys do with Other Lives Studio, you have someone create something that's unique. No other piece will mm -hmm. ever look like that. And mm -hmm. in the past, I would even say, I mean, since the 80s, early 90s, we've all kind of been carbon copies of each other. Lately, everyone's just wearing logos. It's a sweatsuit, but it's got logos. So I'm yeah. <laughs> it's It's a little ridiculous. I mean, I see stuff yeah. in store windows and I'm like, it's a sweatsuit. Yes, <laughs> it's emblazoned with logos everywhere. And it's it's $3,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, never understood that because, like, if I see clothing covered in logos, I'm like, really, you should be paying me to be your walking. <laughs> like, that's kind of like I actually go out of my way not to to make it a point not to buy clothing if it has logos all over it because I love it, that. it amazes the crap out of me. Um, 
Yeah, but it's so funny you're talking about, you know, places that you're connected to and trends is the hardest thing in the world to avoid. I mean, let's all look back at the, mm -hmm. book, the early 2000s. Who still wears their low rise bootleg jeans that are tied up with shoelaces and then like the jacket basically were like this big. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, if you start thinking about longevity and timelessness, I mean, yes, you're going to have trends. We're human. We all do it. But don't live your life on just trying to play keep up with the Joneses, which is another bigger issue. Mm -hmm. All these things come together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a process, you know, like, I, I don't know if I talked about this in our previous episode, but um, I did a wardrobe audit a couple of years ago, and it, it really forced me to think about a lot of my closet and what I wore the most, like Betsy was saying, what the pieces that I had an emotional connection to and like what they were. And I actually had to write it down and think about those items. And it, it really unlocked something for me. And I encourage everyone to do that actually, like literally count how many t-shirts you have, how many pairs of jeans, like when was the last time you wore them? How many things you bought in 2022? Like try it, honestly, try it and see how you feel after and think about the things that you did wear the most. Like it will change how you shop moving forward. Yeah. I promise you. You I learn a lot about yourself and your habits, and mm -hmm. I'm really terrified to do that. I mean, <laughs> I, I still have stuff from probably, I hate to admit it, the, the probably late 90s, early 2000s. Well, um, that's good that you still have it, you know. It was well made. Really good I mean, yeah. This is before fast fashion really took off, and mm -hmm. these are items that even though they may not fit great anymore, I'm like, but it, this is quality stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I go to the stores now and it's like, oh, a silk blouse for $350 and it's thin and crummy feeling like it's yeah. not good. Yeah. And, you know, it's just because of the logo. <laughs> and yeah. that's where we yeah. need to start. Um, I wanted to go back to um, Joel's point about thinking about how to take care of your clothing, because one of the pieces of this impending EU legislation is actually mandates for clothing companies to have a, either a take back program or a mending program. So companies are like required to think about the longevity of their items, which I think is fascinating. And I would love to see more of, it's not included in the Fashion Act, this US um, bill, but I think that's a crucial piece of um, the puzzle too, because it's not just on the consumer to try and like, you know, hand wash all their pieces to make sure it lasts longer. The company should be required to think about that when they're making it. Like how long will this last? Can it be, you know, wash 50 times and still be fine and not be falling apart. Like, I think that's, yeah. that should be necessary. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, if mm -hmm. there was yeah. a program like that, that would actually help the, the consumer. Like, I think then you can help. That's when you can start talking to people about like, this is how we can justify the higher cost. Yes, yes. we know we're going to help people. We're going to help this, but people want to know how it impacts them and yeah. their bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. if there's a program involved where they're saying like, oh, this clothing, if it falls apart, we're going to take it back. Mm -hmm. You know, like I mean, there are certain shoe companies out there that they do that. They do that. Shoes and handbags, yeah. Some, they used to. some, mm, yes, yeah, they used to. Yeah, and they only do it for a set amount of time, and then it depends upon you've got to do the claims, and they can deny it, and all that. You know, mm -hmm. there's always a loophole for corporations to get out of things. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. that would be freaking brilliant if yeah. it to like really protect the consumer to say, hey, yes. it's like what when you buy a car, if it's a lemon, there's the lemon law. Like, yeah. why can't you do that with a pair of jeans? Exactly. My yeah. Joel, you just you just sparked a really good memory of of my mother. <laughs> probably she, she she had a purse, and the the stitching started to fray, and she took it back to the store because it was a quite expensive purse. And they were like, "Well, that's just wear and tear, and you can take it to your 
you know, your tailor, your uh, shoemaker. And she handed it right back to the man and said, I expected more from this company. Wow. Stared that man down and he said, we will handle it, ma'am. <laughs> oh, what a queen. I, I was just, I'm standing <laughs> Which crap was this? <laughs> oh my God, I love her. <laughs> and I so mean, funny. I tried it myself, you know, 15 years later and they're like, so we recommend you take it to the shoemaker. I'm like, well, yeah, but this was from your store. I would expect better quality. And they're like, mm-hmm. So the shoemaker's down that way. <laughs> yes, and they were mother just, was also <laughs> intimidating. You are not. What? Yeah. Mother was intimidating. You are not. <laughs> I didn't do the stare down. <laughs> yeah, totally. All about the stare down. She yeah, she's like that. little. She's a little lady too. <laughs> so. But it's so impressive. You mentioned like taking an inventory of what you've got. And I'm like, immediately I'm sitting here thinking how many drawers of concert t-shirts that I have literally never worn. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of scary, but I'll never get rid of them because those are my memories from the shows. Yeah. 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 You have an emotional connection. You know, it's. it's... I haven't unfolded them in probably four years. (laughs) Some people make quilts out of them. They'll just make a blanket or a quilt patchwork. Oh, yeah. But I would never use that. <laughs> Some of them are a bit more fitted than they used to be. Stupid mm. <laughs> <laughs> aging. But I think concert tees never go out of style, so that's actually yeah, kind of a good investment. You have a season with t-shirts that I bought, so careful about that one. Oh my god, we need photos. Oh. <laughs> you oh. know there's Debbie Gibson in there. I don't have a Debbie Gibson. I have my one of my my, my one of my crying ones is Stacy Q. I love that T-shirt. See? <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Paula, a lot Tiffany. of George. No, I never got a Tiffany either. I'm very upset. A lot of Whitney. A lot of Whitney. Madonna. Oh. Technophone. Oh, yes. I can go through the list here. <laughs> no, Joel. Joel's a concert guy. He, I, I can't do crowds, so I avoid concerts. It just he can't do it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. back on track. Other live studio. You guys have events coming up. Would you mind telling people? where they can find them, whether they're online or in person and how they can join you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a virtual tutorial actually being released today. Um, It's a lacing resizing tutorial um, on YouTube and we're going to link it on our Instagram and our website and our YouTube channel, obviously. And we also have a fabric painting workshop where you can either paint on accessories or clothing. and it's kind of like a way to, again, explore your own creativity and upcycle what you already have, give it new life, and maybe cover up some stains depending on mm-hmm. what you have. <laughs> and that's coming that in. You know me so well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody yes. has a little spot, but it's July 1st. Yes. <laughs> so mark your calendars. We'd love to have you. It's going to be in LA. Oh, yes. fantastic. Um, yes. yes. Be that fun. sounds like a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I used to actually paint my clothes as a kid, and I was quickly told to stop doing that. <laughs> well, let that childlike fun out at the workshop. Exactly. I know. D- different time of stop ruining your clothing. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> but on that, guys, um, please check out other live studio. Kim and Betsy are doing amazing work, not only with just the upcycling and um, repurposing of fashion, but what they do is creative. It's it's very unique and it's suited to what you want and what fits you. So that's what we need to do in fashion nowadays. We need to stop looking like each other. We need to stop the cookie cutter stuff, do what's right for you. And um, thank you both Kim and Betsy 
as always, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. So nice to see you, Joel and Wendy. Thanks for having yes. us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thank anytime. You. So, guys, we'll see you next time. I'm Wendy Nystrom, host with Environmental Social Justice with my co-host, Joel Vendette. Again, Kim and Betsy, Other Lives Studio. Check them out. They are awesome. We'll take care. Bye.